We're back to the Neil Haley Show. Also, the media giant effect. My guest today, I'm going to have such a fun time with them. All stars from Young Rock on NBC. Guys, thanks for stopping by. You know, this show means so much to me because I'm a former professional wrestler. So it's it's interesting to see the whole wrestling business. And I watch, I binge watched the two seasons and everything. And how many? I guess go right to Stacy first. How much feedback are you getting from people that are re- professional wrestlers about this show? Because it really, I lived the life on the road. I was only a minor leagues professional wrestler, never made it to the WWE. I did TV once. But to see a lot of the story just really hits home for wrestlers. What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I get much feedback from professional wrestlers, but um, I do get a lot of feedback from people who remember meeting us back in the day or Leah or Rocky, you know, um, and it's all amazing and good. And they really love, um, it's like nostalgia. They get to go back and memory lane and see these characters and be like, oh my God. And then, you know, people might tweet like a random fan photo of him as a young kid and be like, this is when I met him and it was 1999. I love all that. It's, it's really nice to be a part of um, kind of awakening people's memories in that way. And Bradley, what have you learned from, about professional wrestling since you've been part of this show? Because it really gives a lineage and a history of this, the sport. Yeah, so much. I mean, I thought I knew about wrestling and then, you know, this show started. <laughs> I realized it's a lot deeper uh, than it goes. I mean, I, I knew about The Rock and I knew about Stone Cold, Triple H, all those guys in the early 2000s. But um, the history with Rocky Johnson and how all the wrestlers knew each other, you know, the Dwayne knew all these wrestlers when he was young, teenager and younger. Um, I know that I've learned that wrestling is just a big family. It's a huge family. I mean, I literally, when I watch the show, I pinch myself because again, I wrestled with the Bushwhackers. I wrestled with King Kong Bundy. It's just like, and I, and I said, and you know, Jimmy supersized snooker was on shows with me on the, you know, at the end of his career before he passed away. So it's just like, Holy cow. And it just really tells more of a story to what the business is about. So I don't know if Joey, have you heard anything on the end playing Rocky that people reached out to you that knew Rocky and were that wrestled with Rocky and stuff like that and getting feedback of how you've been playing his character? I think people are are so shocked at how much I, I look like Rocky. They 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 can't believe it. Um, and and one of the uh, one of the episodes, I actually wrestled with someone who was tag team partners with Rocky in Memphis, and so he he was like just blown away by you know the uh, similarities. And then how about like learning the lineage of Memphis? Because I did wrestle in Memphis and I, I I told Bradley this before, The Rock wore my knee pads. He forgot his knee pads in the TV taping. I was in Memphis and I wrestled and The Rock wore my knee pads. So shout out to The Rock. Again, my uh, podcast is number 12 celebrity podcast in the world. So Dwayne, I'm calling you out. You know me. We work together with Burt Prentice and Jerry the King Lawler on shows together. I'm asking you to come on my show. I had to just put that shout out out there. You know, it's called, and that, that's something I'm sure that you guys have learned. Dwayne, working with Dwayne, Dwayne really expects a lot and he expects other people to really step it up. Would you guys agree? Go left to right on that question. Would you agree being part of this whole story? I mean, just seeing how, how hard he works, it makes everyone want to work harder like it, it just he, he brings that out of everybody yeah 
he definitely brings it out of everybody and and, 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 and how he learned. Interesting about how he learned promos in last season and how he looked at all these uh, older pro wrestlers and their ability to do promos. And then now I go back and watch The Rock's promos and I say, holy cow, I see all those differences that were from other people like uh, Dusty Rhodes and like some of the other people, superstar Billy Graham and you know, even Jerry the King Lawler, he has some of the stuff of Lawler. I wrestled Lawler multiple times and stuff like that. All right, so I just wanted to kind of give that feedback of wrestlers. There's tons of wrestlers watching this. They're learning the business in so many ways. What should we expect this season without giving everything away? Stacey, go, you go first. I think we're now in this season, and for fans of the show uh, who know kind of the story chronologically where we should sort of roughly be at, um, there's a lot of treats in store because we, we're at this kind of pivotal time in Dwayne's career where he's taking off and, you know, becoming who we know as The Rock. And so I think it's um, it's going to be a really interesting watch for fans to see that and, of course, see all the other characters that are around at that time and some really, you know, beloved wrestlers and faces and people that we all, you know, make up like our childhoods. And, again, it's about the nostalgia of it all. It just It's just really super cool. And how, where's your character going this season, Bradley? Are we seeing a more, learn more about what's happening with him and some of the other stories that happen with him? That's the cool thing is going back in the side. You see seeing stories, but the reason The Rock became The Rock was based on specific stories. That's what's so awesome about the show. A lot of, there's so many, especially in my era, there's a lot of these kind of mental notes or these moments that changed his mindset which really, you know, led to him getting to that point where he became a wrestler and he became The Rock, um, but with his priorities, but also what he, um, you know, where he gets that determination, where he's going to work hard and he wants to outdo everyone else, you know, um, but also that he becomes a good person at the same time, you know, he's not going to knock anyone else down just to, you know, build himself up. And in my era, I get a little bit older, and I'm getting ready to go to college. And uh, Dwayne thinks he's going to go to the NFL and he's going to buy his mama house. He's going to take care of his family and make all the money, you know. So I, my character is a lot more confident and a lot more um, sure of himself and where he's headed uh, this season than before. He's not the Dewey of 15 years old. Now, so you're going to have to hit the gym more then, right? That's a challenge for you, right? If you're going to continue to look at the build and what the next character ends up being and they're showing your story, right? Yes. Is that true? <laughs> Training more? You know, yeah. and yeah, for sure. Okay. um, Joey, kind of jumping back into specifically enough, your character, you made, a, uh, as Rocky Johnson, you made a lot of bad decisions throughout your career that cost you opportunities, especially with Vince and things like that. Are we going to learn more and more that backstory, especially where, you know, he made the decision to go work for another promotion and missed out on WrestleMania and things like that. Yeah, we're definitely going to see what happened in Saudi Arabia. We've talked about it, but you know, this time we're, we're going there and uh, we're going to get to see what was ultimately the downfall of Rocky Johnson. And you learn, Joey, in this process, uh, Joseph, and learning this specifically, what's happening in this whole deal, is you're, you learn in being part of this character that ultimately the professional wrestling business is very political. And if you make the wrong steps or the wrong mistakes, you don't end up somewhere if you're not connected to somebody. But I think that what Dwayne was able to do in this story, and we're going to learn more about it, is he was able to play both sides the political end of it, but also 
he was not willing to take it as we're going to learn about where he was, you know, getting booed by the fans and the gimmick wasn't getting over. And Vince thought it was time for him to go. And ultimately he took a chance, right. And said, I'm going to go out and do this. And that is exactly what Rocky does. Right. So he used some of what Rocky did at times in his learning experience said, well, I now have to be more like Rocky, my dad, to, to not allow this to happen. I'm already on top. I'm going to stay on top. Isn't that true? Wouldn't you agree? That's, yeah. Yeah. That's wow. I never thought about that. Yeah. He actually did. Wow. Because he saw specifically enough in his character. He knew that, okay, my dad stood up for me at times. My dad didn't take it for certain business promoters. Remember when he was going to go work at this promotion, get paid a good amount of money from last season. And he said, nope. I'm not paying. I'm not going to represent that kind of character. I'm out. Dwayne explained those things. And I think that might have had more to do with the storyline. Uh, what did you learn more and more about wrestling, Stacy, from being, the, again, uh, a playing a promoter, especially and all that? What would you say your biggest learning experience is from learning the business, from just kind of the scripts and understanding it more? Yeah, I think it was it's kind of what Bradley touched on before about the um, the kind of connectedness between everyone and and um, I mean going into it I, I, I'm very open about the fact that I just was not a wrestling fan I, I kind of had my preconceived ideas about it and the world that it was in and it was like instantly kind of blown the water as soon as I got on um, to set and see early on in season one and watching these guys um work with Chavo Guerrero and um you know do all the moves and stuff and learning more from from Chavo from Brian about the behind the scenes and how things the mechanics of how things all worked and I was uh, it really gave me a whole new respect for the world of wrestling um and I think you just that I, I never I it never really kind of dawned on me how um just generational it was in um, the kind of like lineage of some of these wrestlers and how they're all connected from back in the day. And especially like we touch on a lot of that show with how, you know, Dwayne literally grew up in that world and talking to Atta, uh, you know, about her parents, Peter and Leah, and how she grew up in that world and hearing some of these stories about what she kind of was exposed to and saw as a young girl, you know, with her parents in that world. And this carries all the way through to now DJ's own daughter, you know, and it's, it's just when you think about that time span of like, we're going back to like the sixties, yeah. <laughs> you know, all the way through it. Amazing. And then what Dwayne was able to do was overcome a lot of obstacles in the business because again, a lot of stars after they made it, they go back on the road and they're hitting the gimmicks table and he chose the movies. And I'm looking forward to see where that happened. And he's helped John Zena in so many ways be able to step out because Hulk Hogan never could do it. He never could do become the movie star. And now the rock is paving the way for many professional athletes, pro wrestlers to be able to go do that for sure. And guys got tuned into young rock at best place. We can follow all of you go down the line. Tell me where we can follow you. But again, tune into young rock again, tomorrow night, 8 30 PM Eastern only on NBC or catch up again on Peacock, which I caught up in all season two uh, when I was traveling. So, guys, any place to follow you on social media, hit up your spots. Where can people follow you? Stacey, where can yeah, you they can follow me? On Good. You can follow me on Instagram, Stacey Leilua, um, and on Twitter, Stacey MS Leilua. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Bradley Constant. 
Or we also have a Young Rock TikTok now. We're going to start posting some cool behind the scenes stuff. Young yeah, Rock Talk. All young right. Rock talk. <laughs> and then where can we follow you? Go. On Instagram at official Joseph Lee Anderson. We appreciate it, Joseph. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment and also the media giant effect. I'm excited to welcome for my first, my co-host, Alan Porter of Strategic Wealth Strategies. Alan, thanks for stopping by. And we're going to have another great conversation with another really interesting guest. How are you? Great. Great being here today. All right. And our topic today, we're going to talk to... Uh, the movie First Responders, and it's about celebrates the vitality of marriage and bonds of friendship that carry firefighters, police, and EMTs through through ch their challenges. And our guest today is going to talk about First Responders. So I'm excited to welcome to the show uh, Rick Eldridge. Rick, thanks for stopping by. And uh, how did this project start? I think it's so great to honor the first responders. They're the ones that. When, when we have an emergency, they're ready to respond regardless of what's happening, what time of the day, they're here for us. It's finally good to have a movie that's about this. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, you said it. We, uh, we were in the middle of actually producing another film, which released earlier this year called The Mulligan. And, uh, and we're talking about that because we were, uh, you know, just watching some media and watching what's happening in our world. And, and uh, the, the whole counterculture thing of canceling and uh, defunding police. And, uh, and I'm thinking that that's such a ludicrous thing. These are the guys that are giving of everything that they have to, to support and, 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 and keep us safe. And uh, uh, yeah, I, as we talked about that, we said, you know, we should do something about it. And, uh, and so this is the media that we use. And uh, we created First Responders based on that, that need, I think, for people to understand the things that these guys deal with on a daily basis and, uh, and and have more of a, an opportunity to honor them. Uh, this is releasing on First Responder Week. Uh, we have a period of time every year where corporate and business tend to, to give a little extra push to responders and honor them for what they do. And so we said, what a perfect time to release the movie. So uh, we're excited to be having it out uh, here uh, October 24, 25. Go ahead, go down. Well, you know, I, I, I can't agree with you more. Uh, I'm retired military, and the things that our families, first responders' families go through when you don't know if you're going to come home or not. Right. They go out every day, every night to, to answer some call, and they don't know whether they're coming home or not. We're a special breed of people, and they are definitely a special breed of people for, for what they do. They don't get the respect they deserve. They don't get the pay they deserve. Right. And I think what you're doing is an absolute great thing. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think it's important that we humanize the story. And that's what we do where you see the camaraderie. Uh, we have a start. The movie starts off in a bowling alley and these guys have a bowling league and they're razzing each other. And so you see how they connect with each other to kind of let loose every now and then. But you also see the uh, some of the tragic things that they deal with. We deal with some subject matters that are tough, like PTSD. And, uh, you know, we have. You know, these guys that, that roll up on a crash and see what they see and you don't get that out of your mind. You know, you don't go home and just check that out, you know. And so we we tell those things, those stories uh, in, in a very authentic way. We had 
responders on set with us, making sure that everything we did was authentic. It was real. It wasn't what we thought that we could dream up that it might be like. Mm-hmm. So it's very authentic, very real. And uh, uh, we, we learned so much doing it and have so much of a deeper respect uh, for these men and their families because of that. And the process of going and doing this and finding out the information, do you have a lot of good consultants to help you with the process of understanding what first responders go through on a regular basis? Absolutely, we do. And there's a lot of things within the uh, the, the movie that that we talk about that, uh, you know, the bridge is, is an uh, organization that works directly with first responders that are suffering from things like PTSD. They're a partner with us in the process, too. But uh, I think the uh, the the overall story and 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 the way we interacted with it, uh, you see the some of the dream sequences that this you know fireman that's dealing with PTSD has, and and it would be easy to say that nah, that doesn't really happen like that, does it? Uh, well, Fathom has given us an opportunity to have kind of a uh, a afterglow, I call it, or a uh, an opportunity for for some real first responders to talk personally about their experiences. And so as we get into the end of the movie, rather than going right to credits, we go to that and you'll see some, uh, some you know, leadership people in our nation uh, who uh, deal with some of their own personal issues and talk about them openly, uh, very, uh, you know, very much endorsing, but yet even, uh, you know, more and more looking at what we did and talked about in the dramatic portions of the movie, uh, they authenticate that. And uh, so it's, it's very powerful. And uh, through the end of the movie, that last 10, 15 minutes of, of hearing these testimonials are uh, just validate so much of what we hear and what we see in the film. Mm. Yeah. Powerful, powerful stuff, Alan, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It I mean, yeah. what, what, what the public is perceiving right now with this woke culture, cancel, defund the police and everything, that's what the military felt like back during Vietnam. Yeah. You know, I, I go to the airport, they'd spit on them. It was unbelievable. Mm. And I, I I applaud you for what you're doing because it needs to be brought out and it needs to be brought out more and more and more. And what's also great is you're releasing this film during the week of first responders, right? This, so That's this right. Is what you're putting in theaters is you've chosen a specific great time for it, for sure. Absolutely. Well, we, we uh, like I said, we put a pen in this date two years ago and I talked to our distributors, Fathom Events. We wanted it to be an event-oriented movie it's only two nights, and uh, so it's an opportunity for you to maybe even find the precinct close to you and you know, buy them a couple tickets and invite them to come and be a part of this. Uh, it, it very much in the movie uh, honors them, uh, gives us an opportunity to, to, to look at what they do and then respect what they do, I think, a little further. A lot of corporations will be doing that. Uh, you know, Firehouse Subs will be giving away subs, and uh, you know, a lot of the other organizations take this week to uh, – to lift them up and to in- encourage them for what they do. And, uh, and I felt perfect time for us to release the movie. And uh, as we do honor them to dig a little deeper into uh, their lives, their families, and, uh, and the sacrifices that they make every day. And now in those challenges you two went through in the military that they're going through now, as you talked about in the anomaly, that, right, Alan? Yeah, correct. I mean, it's just like you, you roll up on a, a fire or, or a crash, and it's just like over, especially in, in uh, this last war, these guys would roll up on a, an IUD explosion. Their, their buddies cut in half, still alive. Uh, but you talk about having that vivid memory. It's unbelievable. And the stuff, you know, it, the work job to have 
was a truck driver. Or that you get up and you go break down doors looking for looking for terrorists. You don't know what's on the other side of that door. Neither do the firemen, neither do the policemen. That's right. What's your hope that people get from the film, Rick? What's your hope? I, I think just a, a deeper you know, understanding and a deeper respect, you know, for, for these men and women, for their families, uh, and all that they give uh, for our protection, for our safety. Uh, and uh, we, we take that for granted too many times. And uh, so that that to me is 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 a phenomenal message. I think there's a there's also a God message here where some of these these guys, as they get to the end of their rope. And we see this in one of the, the families in our story where, uh, you know, this uh, one character that's suffering from PTSD. He's he's been a part of an experience in a fire that just he can't get out of his head. And he's uh, he's ready to retire, ready to give it up. And 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 at one point even says, you know, I don't want to live. If this is what it's like. Uh, and so we see a scene where uh, his wife is just uh, at the end of a rope and it's like, God, I can't do this anymore. Please help. And so, uh, you know, we, we see the intensity of that. But we also see the 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 comfort that comes when they do get that help and and uh, and look in some places to a a higher being to, to find that. Okay. All right. Great. Uh, Alan, anything else to add? Any other questions for Rick? No, I just, uh, I, I want to see this movie. How's it, how, how, how can we see it? Uh, it's going to be in theaters uh, two nights, uh, the 24th, 25th of, uh, of October. And uh, we're in theaters all across America, you know, any major market, you could go to fathomevents.com and, Find a theater close to you, buy your tickets, pre-buy if you want. Uh, or you can go to the Mulligan, or, excuse me, the first responders movie.com uh, and, and there you can get tickets. Uh, any of these places uh, or just walk up to your local theater. We can, they'll be selling them in the box office as well. But uh, we, we hope that you'll do that and, and bring somebody with you and, and invite some of those folks in your community that... Uh, that do this every day. Uh, I think they'll enjoy it too. Uh, so, You'll be uh, at one of the theaters on those dates, Rick. I will. I'll be in. Uh, I live in Orlando, so I'll be in one of the Orlando theaters. They're playing at about, I think, six different locations here in the Orlando area. So uh, absolutely, I'll be there. Uh, the most fun for me is to, uh, you know, I've seen this movie a million times now because we <laughs> edited and made it and shot it and everything else. Uh, I would like. I wish you people ask me what is it like to be in a theater. I want to turn the, the seat around and just watch the audience and see their responses and reactions. That's that means the most to me. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll be I'll be in multiple theaters during those couple of days. <laughs> All right. Well, sounds good. We appreciate it. And thanks for uh, stopping by. Thank you for helping us get the word out. I really appreciate, sure, I appreciate it. it. You're welcome. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show. My guest today, again, is Dr. Charles Simkovich. And we're going to talk about he's forgetting the founder of the Simkovich Concussion Institute. Uh, Dr. Charles, thanks for stopping by. And I want to go and, I mean, you're just amazing, this research. Again, it blows me away to know that we can finally treat concussions, not just treat them, but change the whole narrative. Not we're going to be stuck in this rut forever. We're always going to have symptoms. We can become symptom-free and heal our brain in so many ways. So I wanted to go with some specific frequently asked questions go into some research in this interview. But the first, I want to jump into some frequently asked questions about concussions. You talked a little bit about once a concussion happens and once what to do and how to do it. What if you had concussions years later? Okay. 
and you had concussions and you just never treated them. What signs start to happen where, you know what, I might start looking at it towards concussion? Oftentimes it takes uh, a while, sometimes years for really problems from a concussion to unfold. And that's due to the physiology behind uh, how they all actually are. Uh, you can have a, uh, a blow to your head and you can get past the acute uh, problems. But there's a process called the glymphatic system, which is the waste removal system of the brain. Uh, the CSF, or the, there's a fluid that flows around the brain and it gathers all the waste and it takes it into the brain material where the glymphatic system cleans the waste. It's kind of like a garbage disposal. Unfortunately, it takes years for this waste to accumulate. So you could have problems 5, 10, 15 years post-concussion that are related to the concussion that, that has a real slow, insidious onset. Uh, I, for instance, I had a fellow from Philadelphia who 30 years ago, he was in a tank in the army and the hatch fell and hit him in the head, which is 300 pounds. Uh, after the concussion, he went blind for two days and he lost his cognitive ability, had severe headaches. Uh, he recovered from the acute symptoms, but then over the years, it just kept deteriorating. And that's basically because the, the waste removal system or the glymphatic system wasn't removing the waste and it was accumulating specifically tau proteins, which is what's the problem in CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy that the NFL is talking about, and a beta amyloid proteins, which is what causes dementia. So research has shown that the glymphatic system or the waste removal system uh, function is really inhibited or shut down after concussion. That was researched done by Dr. Nettergaard in Rochester, New York. So let's kind of, so you, this is really interesting. This is the first part of the process is looking at, you, you talked about specifically if something shut down that based on this concussion and you start, how can you identify that, you know, you were concussed at certain points in the symptoms, like just real warning signs to say, oh my gosh, I better go see you today because a lot of times it's longer term till it finally shows up uh based on concussions you had especially because we did not treat concussions in the 80s and 90s and even the 2000s 2010s that we do now in in, in these uh, in the 20s how we treat concussions yeah uh, the the issue is a lot of times people don't start uh, correlating the symptoms they're having to the concussion uh it, the you could have headaches or pain you could have memory problems, uh, short-term memory problems, uh, balance issues. You can start, the, your balance can be starting to uh, fail as you get older. Dizziness. A, a lot of my patients, they have a dizziness and they go and get their ears checked out and their ears are fine. Uh, the ENT said you're fine. And it's related to, you know, lack of circulation to the brain and CSF flow. You, the, since the sphenoid bone, which is the bone that's largely impacted, uh, by head injuries and concussions, it houses the pituitary gland. So now we have a whole bunch of organic symptoms related to concussion that were not never thought to be the case before. Uh, 30 years ago, we did blood work on everybody that came in the office while we were investigating, you know, concussions. We did MRI, CT scans, blood work, because we're trying to gather all the information we can to teach ourselves what is a concussion and how do we correct the problems with concussion and the vast majority of my concussed patients were showing hypothyroidism. Well, I talked about that to other physicians and they, they looked at me like I had two heads. Well, now there's dozens of studies saying, listen, concussions cause hypothyroidism. 
now everybody, a lot of uh, physicians are leaning towards irritable bowel syndrome, um, erectile dysfunction. There's studies now that show that retired NFL players are five times more likely to have ED because the pituitary is the master gland. It's like a general in the army it tells everybody everything what to do. So oh, wow. it, it runs your hormones, your digestion, your heart rate. We have one girl, uh, you know, I, I work with the NHL Alumni Association. Right. I have a, a daughter of one of the former retired players, uh, just did a phone consult yesterday. Ever since her concussion, she's had tachycardia, which is a rapid heartbeat, and they can't find any, they can't treat it, and they, nothing's been successful with her. Uh, you know, you also have anxiety issues because oftentimes the right side of the brain is overstimulated. And you can also have, which is the emotional brain. You can also have anxiety due to the fact that you're not feeling good and it, it, you have headaches and, and you can have depression. You can have anger outbursts. I get a lot of, I've had a lot of military people. I've had uh, MARSOC, Marine Special Ops, uh, send people to me. And we had one guy, he uh, was a sniper for 11 years. He um, uh, he said he would wake up angry because oh, of his concussions and IED explosions. And he said he, he was ashamed to admit, but he said he would just yell and scream at his wife all day over nothing. And he admitted he knew it was him, his fault. Well, after treatment, uh, he, he said he wakes up happy. And he said he only got mad at his wife like once in three months, which he still said is unacceptable. Yeah. So the, 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 any of these symptoms can be tied back to Concussions, a lot of times people lose sight that these were the head injuries that actually caused them originally. And what about head injuries? We talked about last show about that it could be really a small blow and you didn't know it was that traumatic for you. Can you kind of just people should look at a journal and look back when we start having symptoms, health issues that again, you Google and it doesn't say it's from concussions, right? Which you bringing up in your research. And we'll talk about your research in a few seconds that when we see something like this occur, then do we need to go back in journal and start thinking about what sports we played? And maybe when we had certain times where we had our bell rung and we just didn't even think about that it would be a concussion so that then we would say, this is something we need to get checked out just in well, case I, with certain symptoms. I actually think people should just go by the symptoms because the history, I'll bring it out in a patient. I ask a lot of questions and we'll pull it out. And a lot of times they're not going to make the connection between the symptoms they're having and the concussion. So if they are aware of the symptoms, headache, uh, memory issues, I'm having a hard time reading. Uh, 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 L.C. Greenwood, a uh, famous stealer, uh, and I, he's on video saying this uh, 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 DVD. Uh, anyway, he would tell me he could read, but he had no comprehension of what he was reading. And that all cleared up uh, after he went through the treatment. Right. So it's comprehension. Uh, it could be a, a lot of people who have learning problems because the sphenoid bone that we deal with, your eye muscles attached to it, which is going to affect eye tracking. So if been hit in the head, a lot of times uh, you might skip words when you're reading or right. read the same line over and over or lose your place easily because your eyes aren't tracking properly. Then you have three cranial nerves that pass through the sphenoid that control uh, eye movement, cranial nerve three, four, and six, which is the oculomotor, trochlear, and abducens. So they also uh, uh, play a part in eye, eye movements. So your eyes are heavily involved in uh, concussion and concussion-related symptoms, uh, along with headaches, dizziness, balance issues. So if anybody's having any of those, uh, I, I will, I will, that's when they need to seek care. 
I would pull out the history. Most people, when they come in, a lot of times don't recall concussions or they forget about several. I, I had uh, uh, one, lady, uh, one, one fella, he, he had all the classical signs of, of concussion. He had everything I found was uh, had trauma related. And uh, he, he got actually upset with me and he stormed out of the office and said, I never had a concussion in my life. Uh, you're a quack. You don't know what you're saying. Make, make a long story short, he came back to the office the next day and apologized. Here he went home to tell his mother, you know, asked her why she sent him to me because I had no idea what I was doing. Here when he was two, the springs on the uh, garage door snapped oh, and the garage door slammed his head against the concrete floor and fractured his skull. Oh. But being, being two, he didn't remember this, of course, and she never brought it up again. So he had some serious trauma when he oh. was two years old and it carried forward. And as he got older, it just started to neurologically deteriorate. So a lot of these problems are hidden a lot and people just don't connect the dots on, hey, I had this injury. Right. Plus, if we can go one step further, uh, CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy is concussion related. Well, research out of Boston University has shown they thought it was one large concussive episode. Well, now they're finding it. It's the cumulative effect of many smaller blows that predisposes more people to uh, CTE, which is would make sense why a lot of offensive linemen uh, have CTE uh, more than other positions because they're constantly getting hit. Our defensive player. and offensive linemen are more to hit than versus – a hit of a tackle where you're going to, you might run into something, get touched versus every, every down you're going to, you're in every practice, you're going to go full head. Now, I mean, I played football one year, high school football, and it's interesting to look at, you know, uh, that and where they never considered anything. And I don't know if I was ever in that way, but that is something where if you're, professional athletes going so many miles an hour and what they have to do. But the good news is you have found through research and I wanted to explain research. And then the next time you come on the show, we want to talk about who is the right person to see. And it's only you. So you got to travel over the country to come to the Simkovich concussion Institute in Pittsburgh. And it's very simple. Just go and get there because it's the best place to go. But my point for you is let's talk about specifically enough um, the research that's being found out through what you've stepped from and what you've studied so far in concussions. Well, we, we have an ongoing relationship with Wheeling University's uh, Doctor of Physical Therapy program. Uh, the lead researchers there are Dr. Mohammed Haddadzadeh and Dr. Christine Grubler. Uh, we've completed three studies. Uh, all three have been presented and defended. One is now published in the ACRM journal, American. Uh, College of Rehabilitative Medicine. Uh, we have two more. One has been completed. One is on the the girl from North Carolina that I told you about, who uh, they're doing a case study on her. She was, uh, after her concussion, she had a 60-second memory, uh, had been to 70 doctors, and basically these doctors told her parents that uh, they should put her in an asylum and walk away. Uh, anyway, she's 19, and she she has been to our clinic, and her memory's back. Uh, so they did a case study on that and they have an, a, a fifth study starting. Uh, so the research is, uh, my partner research is Wheeling University, uh, you know, school, the doctor of physical therapy program. 
Uh, and from that research, you know, we, we've got, got a big, a good relationship with the uh, International College of Cranial Mandibular Orthopedics, who had their uh, international uh, uh, conference in Louisville a couple of weeks ago, in which I was one of the speakers. Uh, so more and more doctors are understanding this and, and understanding the physiology behind really what is causing a concussion and really how do you remediate it? That's, that's the key. Right. Because, uh, you know, if you can't remediate it or, or, or reverse the person, you know, that's the real challenge. Then we have a lot of people just deteriorating and, and running into serious health problems. So best place to go is where? Uh, Simcovich Concussion Institute, yes, uh, .com. And uh, follow you on social media, reach out to you, have questions, because again, you are innovative. You're changing the narrative when it comes to concussions. And you're going to be, the, you are the leader. And more and more people all over the world are going to find out how you have helped so many people and look forward next time to talk more about that. Great. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Always a pleasure. You're welcome. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, what's going on, man? How are you? You know, we were talking on my show earlier about, you know, what you're doing for caregivers. And this is a really interesting book we're going to be talking about today. And in all, and she's a she's a perfect caregiver. So I don't know. We'll have to ask that caregiving question on this if you see the cover of the book, Dave. So how are you? Yeah. I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, right. A lot yeah. of exciting things happening. Can't keep up with them. So you just take one day at a time. Exactly. You have to. And our guest today is Danielle Kaplan, and she's going to talk about her book, I Married a Thrill Seeker. <laughs> How are you, Danielle? And oh, my goodness, I can't wait to hear this thrill seeking stories. But what made you want to write the book? Hi, Neil. Such a, yeah, first of all, lovely to be on with you both and to be able to discuss this topic in my book. So what made me write the book? The interesting thing, and we'll talk about Steve's accident, is naively I collected all information when Steve was so critically ill and my family was spread out all over Canada, thinking that they would be actually interested in the details of what happened. So naive, because obviously once we were over, nobody wanted to hear about it because they, they were done. They didn't want to hear all that emotional and intense trauma. So I naively had collected everything from the chats, because I was in another province, another hospital, I had many messages, emails, chats, and I somehow just kept emailing them to myself. So I kept all the facts of what was going on. Good for you. And that was the one thing. And then the other thing is Steve's story is so miraculous, so incredulous that people kept saying, oh, my God, that is a story. That uh -huh. crazy guy from the Yukon, that is a story. That is a book. You should do something. A movie. I, well, actually, one of the doctors said to me, you know what? That story is worthy of a movie. And who is going to play Stephen? <laughs> <laughs> so all of that translated in maybe I should do something with all of this information. Wow. I can't wait to read it. Is it out? It's out in the next two weeks. So at the moment it's on, I know it's a little plug here, amazon.com and amazon.ca uh, for pre-order, but it will be on the shelves in books and delivered within the next two weeks or so. Yeah, wow. those pre-orders are very important because on the day of the launch, they all count as a purchase on day one. Right. And that'll right. take you right to number one. Right. So it's exciting that. 
it's it one crazy story. And Neil, if you love thrill seeking and you love that behavior. So how did you know from the beginning he was a thrill seeker? What was the first sign of that? It's probably what attracted <laughs> her to him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a great one because before I met him, when he called me for a date and I'm, I'm moderate, what we call uh, risk adverse, risk <laughs> avoidance, uh, really cautious. I was told that uh, I didn't go on. I didn't go on the first date with him because I was studying for exams, and I was told, "No, he's too wild and mischievous for you." Yeah. But that really intrigued me and was a challenge. And the first time he actually came to my house to meet my parents, he came on his scrambler motorbike, and my parents said no way to him and the bike. <laughs> so I think that was a little cue in that this is someone who's a little bit out of the box for me. So what <laughs> made you go on that second date? I was intrigued. I was challenged. Uh, he was so different from me. He was exciting, daring, bold. So now you're a thrill seeker. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Why do girls go after the bad boys? I don't I know. And it's true. And I love that. Like I'm a thrill seeker. So you can't take the thrill out of the seeker. And you can't put the thrill in someone who's not a seeker. They just kind of go along very cautiously for the ride. Yeah, but you're embarking on a very scary journey, writing a yes. book, going yes, on a right. book tour. You're right. But when it's scary, that's when it's great. Yeah, because you expose yourself. You write things that, and particularly with regard to Stephen, I'm quite harsh on him in parts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, Stephen, what was the thing that caused that? It's great you married a thrill seeker, but there were some things that happened that made it not the best situation for you, right? Well, if I tell you about a little bit about the the story, it will give the book some, away. Well, so well, I, won't, I, know, I won't tell you the ending, but although you know, because he does survive, obviously by the title. But it is one crazy story. So this was his second trip from Toronto through northern U.S., through British Columbia, province of Canada, to the part of gold, Alaska, and turn around and come back through the rural Yukon areas. He was very much, um, his heroes were Ewan McGregor and Charlie Boorman, who did these very long drives from Africa, from Europe to Africa. And Steve, like them, you got to be an adventurous soul. He was bold, daring, challenge, enjoyed challenges, loved speed, was not afraid of anything. And I guess when you take risks, there are consequences, but if you don't worry about them, if you're not stressed about them, you keep taking those risks. And he was on his way back from a three-week trip, solo trip on his adventure motorbike and he'd been on glaciers seen the wilderness cross paths with grizzly bears and loved being out in nature and just absorbing the wind the rocks the, the everything around and of course what he did which was really I say no accident because he in a way made a choice he went on a rural gravel road at dusk in the rain and he said he was traveling at moderate speed and his moderate speed and my moderate speed are definitely different. And he hit a pothole 
and flew up in the air. The bike kind of hit the pothole. He flew up. The bike then accelerated into thick terrain, and Steve lands up on this rural road with no cars, trucks, people in sight for hours and miles, and he breaks his spine. He damages his spine, and he damages his heart and very ears, immobile on this very rural road where there's no cell reception, no, even if someone had um, um, any form of communication, it, there wasn't reception. So there he's stuck on this road and it's dusk. So that's when the animals and the grizzlies come out. And he heard a lot of animal noises around him. And there he's contemplating, uh, probably for the first time in his life, he was afraid, what am I going to do? Wow. So he does feel fear. Well, you know what? He did. Following the accident for the very first time, he experienced fear in all my life. I've known him since I was 19. I've never seen him show any fear and emotion like this. And obviously you then stuck and you can't move and you are open to anything around you because he was defenseless. How old was he when this happened? And where were you? He always leaves you home and, <laughs> and uh, goes off. By on choice, journey. I stayed home. <laughs> Actually, I was at a, I was up at our lake cottage at the time, enjoying my life, which yeah. was about to change. Um, so he was 55, or actually 54 at the time. He was 54. Wow. And he was out there. He would take his work with him. So in his work capacity, he was focused and uh, never, never took risks. But in his play, he was a real daring, bold, courageous risk taker. But a crazy thing, and if you sort of enjoy adventure, or as you said, Neil, you, you've had experiences of risk-taking behavior, you should always have a safety net. And what Steve had with him was this called the SPOT, which is a satellite transponder that you take with you. You should really have it on your body if you're doing any kind of adventure activities, particularly on your own. And so this was what was so fascinating. This time he attached this SPOT, which is like a, a satellite yes. transponder GPS, which had three functions. It, it He had a whole lot of people following his website. It would send me at the end of the day his coordinates so I'd know that he was safe, that he landed, he was okay, I could breathe. And then the third thing, it had an emergency call button to a response center that he had chosen that was in Texas. So this transponder on this really heavy bracket, as the bike makes impact with the thick terrain, like about 60 feet away from him that he couldn't even see because he was on the road. This is like thick bush. The transponder breaks out of the bracket, this heavy metal with screw bracket. Most of the stuff stayed on the bike, flew up in the air and landed in his reach. Now, what is that? That's like the lottery of life. If you think about it, it could have stayed on the bike with all the other stuff. It could have fallen anywhere, 360 degrees, a meter, two meters, 10 foot, whatever. It was as if Steve was a target and he didn't even like realize that he won the lottery. <laughs> he just presses the button and then it obviously notified the 
Oh my goodness. I know. And look, how incredulous oh, is that? It's amazing to hear the story. And now Dave is a caregiver himself and he has a caregiving story. And he's going to ask a question for you, Danielle. That's kind of can put the pieces together of what your mindset was when he had that injury. Go ahead, Dave. Okay. That's yeah. That's such an interesting track to go. go ahead, yeah. Dave. You, you are a caregiver. Uh, you didn't sign up for it. It's not on your resume. All of a sudden, totally. it's like my, my wife had this headache, uh, 26 years into our marriage of 47 years and she uh, it wouldn't go away and eventually turned into a stroke on the fourth yeah. day did she have and an she, aneurysm she yeah. lost her speech no it was a blood yeah. clot in her carotid artery uh, she lost her speech became paralyzed on one side and and she became uh, angry and bitter our life changed and uh, it wasn't i didn't know if i wanted to be her husband anymore i didn't know if i wanted to be her caregiver because she was angry and bitter going through the grief process but i hung in there went to a support group and things slowly got better she slowly became her old self again and uh, still can't talk still can't walk after 25 years but our love was rekindled and i became dave the caregiver's caregiver and now i host this radio show the caregiver dave radio show and i'm and on tv and stages all over the world i've written four books and now i'm doing caregiver seminars and vacations in acapulco so my question to you um how did you feel when you became a caregiver were you prepared would you what would you have done differently while you were a normal person to prepare you for this because it could happen to anybody immediately like that Totally. So first of all, heart-wrenching your experience. And I well, as yours. totally get it because I've been on both sides. I am a clinician, worked in a hospital for 25 years with people who've had strokes, with brain trauma, with spinal injury. So mm. I get the clinical side and then suddenly now I'm seeing it from a different perspective. So, yeah, it's, you know, when you get that call or you get that situation, your life changes instantly and you can't rewrite the story as much as you would like to rewrite that narrative and it go away. It's what you have to face. And so I think for me, there were some take homes. I really learned very quickly. And, and in fact, it is how Steve lived his life. I had to go moment by moment and not look into the future and try and predict or know what the outcome was because it's unknown, it's unpredictable, it's scary. I couldn't go back and rewrite it because it wasn't counterproductive. So I had to almost go, and it sounds so cliched, you go breath by breath, hour by hour, day by day, and you face. And for sure, Dave, you learned that recovery is not linear. It doesn't just go one way. You go two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, two steps back. And you have to face that. Yeah. So I was probably more fortunate than most is that I had worked this area for 20, at least 25 years. And I was so knowledgeable. And so I used my knowledge and my abilities to advocate mm. respectfully for Stephen. And I think that's probably one of the biggest take homes that I got is, and you were and are that person for your wife, everybody needs who's in crisis or in a medical, chronic medical situation, you need an advocate. You need somebody to be your voice. And I became for Steve, his clinician, 
his rational self because there were times when he was psychotic from being in the ICU and delusional and and nightmares and crazy dreams and disbelief. And then he was cognitively impaired and then he couldn't move. So I was his voice. I was his rational self. I was his clinician. I was his advocate. And then when he got sick of me, he fired me. (laughs) He was such an independent man before. Like you couldn't tell him what to do or do things for him. He is his own person. And here suddenly he can't even move. He couldn't even handle like the slight breeze in his face. And now his wife has to take care of him. And just one other thing where, where we empathize with people who are in those situations, when you go into hospital, you lose your dignity. It stays out the door. And it is they people who experience stroke or trauma, they go to the depths of what's really dark for them to pull out of it. So you need people to help you get step by step, you know, understanding, encouragement, because it's really tough. It's a great story and tragedy comes and we don't, we can't change it. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to change it because it made me who I am. It made you who you are. And we're both kind of famous as a result of it. I wouldn't want to go through (laughs) it again. Totally. um, I know. No, you wouldn't want to replace it either. Yeah, no. Life takes you on a journey that you just can't predict. You just don't know. And if you look back, you're like, would I ever have imagined this would have been the life that I was leading? Not crazy. So best place people can find information on you, Daniel, on your book. Again, it's you're taking pre-orders right now. So where can they go? So first of all, there's a website, www.imarriedathrillseeker.com. All the information's there. And we're busy loading up some photos. So you may be interested. We're loading up photos of Steve's trip. And then I've got a full photo journey. But it can, it's also on Amazon, amazon.com, amazon.ca as I Married a Thrill Seeker. It's going to be in bookstores, Barnes & Noble, um, other bookstores, I think, um, Target. And it, I can always be, yeah, and I can always be reached by um, my publisher, Rebooks, Rebecca Eckler at rebooks.com. But now we have a website up and that's giving all the info and the media that's building which is super exciting i know it's it's one crazy story like honestly (laughs) totally is daniel we appreciate you coming by and it was great information okay acapocodave.com can give caregivers and those who love caregivers uh, a place where they can actually sign up for the mastermind and the Acapulco vacation that caregivers so desperately need because 30% of them die before their loved ones do. Tony Dave, what you're doing is phenomenal because they are the people who get forgotten in this. Exactly. All right. We appreciate you both. Thank you so much. You have a good day. All right. right. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. We'll be back in just a moment.